One else who's traveling today away from us is Josh Page. Uh, Sonia's here with us, but I don't know if you guys remember, but about four or five weeks ago, his grandmother died, passed away out in San Luis Obispo. Um, and then this week, his grandfather, uh, her husband, passed away about what, four weeks later, four or five weeks later. So Josh is back out there with the family and, and attending a funeral and I think taking care of some of the affairs out there in San Luis Obispo. So uh, I meant to mention Josh as well. He's also traveling, so uh, remember him in your prayers. Uh, just a, a season of, of family members passing. And, and just the, the great, thankful for the great testimony that he's uh, shared or Sonia has shared with me about the, the legacy that they've had and the, the influence that they had for Jesus in Josh's life. So praise God for that. Um, okay, well, we are back. Uh, we have come to week two of our short series on elders. And this morning, I want to talk about the character of an elder. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, so in case you don't know, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and that's not where I'm going to be spending time this morning, but it, it is one of the worst chapter divisions in all of the Bible. Uh, so, so chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is, is Paul talking about our personal freedom, so that's where he talks about meat sacrificed to idols. Should we, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Well, we can, but does it cause our brother to stumble and all of those things? And then he sums it up, which should be the last verse in chapter 10, by saying, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. That's, that's sort of his conclusion to his, his argument for selflessness uh, in, in chapter 10. D.A. Carson has a book called Resurrection to His Return, Faithfully Living in the Last Days, and he says this, do you ever say to a young Christian, do you want to know what Christianity is like? Follow me. And Carson's book was written back in 2010, and it's probably even more uncommon today that somebody would say to another younger Christian, hey, do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Watch me. And yet these kind of statements are pretty common in the New Testament. Philippians 4.9, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul says to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an example for others to imitate. And you say, well, the Apostle Paul you know, of course, it would be good to imitate the Apostle Paul, but he's different than me. And yet, Paul writes to others to tell them to live lives that are examples to be followed. He tells Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He tells Titus, show yourself in all respects to be models of good works. And I think many young Christians, I think many Christians in general today would be shocked to have someone come to them and say, follow me as I follow Christ. And perhaps the natural result would be, who do you think you are? 
But you who are older, or at least older in the Lord, should be saying that to those who are younger in the faith. Watch me. I will show you how to study your Bible. I will show you how to pray. I will show you how to serve and give. I will show you how to be a mother or a father, a a husband or a wife who is a follower of Jesus. I will show you how to die for Christ's sake. And so last week, we looked at two questions. Who are the elders and what is biblical eldership? Who are the elders? They are, they are men from among us, men of good character with a reputation for wisdom. Generally, they are men who are older, at least relative to the congregation, and they are men who desire the office of elder. And then we asked the question, what is biblical eldership? And we saw that both Paul and Peter charged the elders to shepherd the flock of God. So elders are shepherds. They spend time being alert for the safety of the flock, leading it to fresh water and pasture, carrying the weak, seeking the lost, taking care of the sick, and training the young. And most importantly, we saw that shepherds live with the sheep. They love the sheep. They smell like the sheep. And so that leads us right to the next question, which we want to answer this morning, and that is what character is expected of an elder? So that's what we're going to talk about today. In light of Paul's statement, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, I would say that an elder first and foremost should be an example of Jesus Christ. An elder should be a man who can say, watch me, let me show you what it means to follow Christ. And so I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. And this is going to be the passage where we'll be living for this week and next week. It's a remarkable passage. It's a remarkable passage about elders that maybe you've never noticed before or maybe you've never heard about. And I want to introduce you to this passage this morning. So Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. He will arrive in Jerusalem. He will be arrested. He'll spend two years uh, living up in a place called Caesarea Maritima, where he'll be interviewed by Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and then eventually he'll be sent to Rome, where he will be under house arrest. So Paul legitimately believes that this is going to be the last time that he's going to see some of these people. And as he's returning to Jerusalem, he comes to a place called Miletus, and he asks the elders in Ephesus to make a four-day journey. It would have been a four-day journey by foot so that he can speak to them one last time. He's got one more message that he wants to give to the elders from Ephesus. I've mentioned Alexander Strauch several times. He's been very helpful to us, to me, as I've prepared this message. He says, any elder who does not know the content of Paul's message to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 is ill-equipped to lead and protect God's people. This passage is crucial in providing us insight into the leadership exercised in the New Testament church, and as such, it provides us with a template to measure faithful oversight in the church today. I'm going to read this whole passage. We'll split it in half. We'll take half this week and half next week. But as I read it, I want you to notice how many times Paul makes reference to his own personal life and example. So let's read it. I'll read it for you. You read along, beginning in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified." I coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would bless us that we might understand this passage from your scripture. God, that you would, by your spirit, open the eyes of our heart so that we can know what it is that you intend us to know. God, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. I pray that you would help me to say things that edify these dear saints who are here today. And Father, that you would guard us all from misunderstanding or from misapplying what we find here in your word. And we'll be grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Paul begins by saying, you yourselves know how I lived among you. And he says that alone three times in this passage. Paul's character was evident because of his lifestyle. He lived among the people. He was an open book for everyone to read. He didn't ride into town on a horse lecturing on theology, evangelism, and church growth. He was a missionary on the front lines, a loving shepherd, an evangelist, a faithful man of prayer, and a spiritual mentor. And I want you to see that Paul's manner of life was no accident. He was not just wandering through life on a different plane than the rest of us. He didn't have a halo on his head. He didn't walk around with his hands folded all the time. But he was very, very deliberate in how he was living specifically so that his character could be seen to match his teaching. 
And so therefore, as he stands there in Miletus with these elders that have traveled four days to be able to talk to him, he is able to say, do you remember how I lived? Live like that. And so what we know here is that Paul expects elders to be men who lead by examples. And so I've got four words here this morning. We're just going to kind of move through this text. We're going to kind of be zigzagging through it a little bit. But the four words that, that I think describe the kind of men that Paul expected these elders to be, and they are humility, clarity, impartiality, and integrity. So let's, let's begin with humility. First of all, you know yourselves, this is verse 18 and 19, that I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. Okay, so Paul sees himself as a servant of Jesus and of the church. And Jesus came, and he, he famously said of himself, I have come to serve. I haven't come to be served. I have come to serve. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave. I love these words from Jesus, where he is responding to the disciples. They're arguing about who is going to be the greatest. It's the night before Jesus is is going to, to die the next day. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them call them benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you becomes as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. And then that very night, we saw this last year in John chapter 13, Jesus goes in and he washes the feet of the disciples. Judas is there. He let them all walk by that bowl and the the towel that would have been set out, and he let them all walk by and think, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, 12 times, Judas included. And then before the meal, Jesus gets up and he takes off his outer robe and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And at the end of it, he says, I have given you an example that you should do to others just as I have done to you. So Jesus redefined what it means to be great. He redefines what it means to be a leader. He warns his followers, don't conform to the world's ideas about what it means to be great, about what it means to be a leader. Because in the church, a leader is going to be a servant more than he's going to be a boss. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And Paul goes on to say, have that mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus who deserving everything, he was deserving of all glory, came and he made himself a man, not just any man, a poor man, and then he came and he died, not just any death, a death upon a cross, so that at the name of Christ every knee should bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God's path to greatness is the opposite of the world's path to greatness. And Paul is telling these Ephesian elders That's the path I followed. You know, it's possible to be a strong leader and be humble at the same time. I know we don't see much of it today. Moses is described as the meekest man who ever lived, and yet certainly he was one of the greatest leaders 
that the world has known. Humility is not a sign of weakness, at least it's not as far as God is concerned. Listen, brothers and sisters, I do believe that the attitude of the elder, I'm not saying that our elders should do everything. I think we should spread the load. I think that we should all be bearing the work that is to be done in this church. But I do believe that the attitude of a godly elder should be that there is nothing that is beneath him. You cannot be an elder in the church of God and say, those are things I will not do because they are beneath me. The attitude of the elder, the first thing that Paul wants them to see about him is that he lived among them humbly as a servant. Secondly, clarity. In verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. And he repeats something very similar down in verse 27 where he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Again, Paul has asked these guys to make a four-day journey. And what are the first two things he wants to tell them? These are his last words to these Ephesian elders. And he says, first of all, you know that I lived among you humbly. And secondly, you know that I did not shrink back from declaring the entire word of God to you. It says he taught them in public and he taught them from house to house. He taught them in large group settings. He taught them in small group settings. Later on in the passage, it says he admonished them with tears. He taught them individually if he needed to. There are times when he preached and everybody listened. There are times when he sat and talked and people asked questions. Paul's example was that he did not shrink from declaring the word of God in every situation. And he says, follow my example. Listen, if you're going to be an elder who guards the flock of God, you have got to be a person who is willing to speak the word of God, to declare the word of God in whatever situation God may bring you. Every now and then I get a question about why do we have a, why do we have a seminary meeting here on Thursday nights? Like, what's up with that? You know, and sometimes people will say, you know, why are we using our resources for that? And I'm like, we're not using any of our resources. All the guys pay, and, you know, if, if you consider the room a resource, then that's, that's the extent of, of, of the resources that we're investing. But even if we did invest resources in training men and women, I think it would be money well spent because we're teaching people God's word so that they can teach it to others. Women who can teach women, dads who can teach their kids, and obviously relevant to our time this morning, elders who can handle God's word in private and in public. And not just elders who are going to be here at Hope Bible Church, but elders who are going to be elders in other churches in Savannah and other areas. Part of the job of elder is going to be to guard the flock. How does a person shepherd the flock without being able to feed the flock? Elders have to be able to handle God's word. Back in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is calling out the ungodly shepherds of Israel, and he's calling out the ungodly behavior of Israel, and he's making all kind of promises about the new covenant and the Holy Spirit that's going to come, and God is going to write his word in their hearts. But he also says this, he says, and I will give you shepherds who are after my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. 
Part of the promise of what's coming in the new covenant is that God is going to give his people shepherds who aren't lazy shepherds, who aren't blind shepherds, who aren't shepherds who don't understand, but who are shepherds who are going to feed them from God's word. They're going to be men after God's own heart, and they're going to tell them the things that God wants them to know. I recently got an email from a church that was looking for an executive pastor. I get these emails sometimes where people are looking for different, different positions. And it, it said this, he should be a person whose gifts of leadership and management have been proven in the world of business. And he has a desire to use these gifts in the ministry of the church. And then part of his job description is that he will give oversight to the campus pastors and will work with the board in leading the ministry of the church. Now you guys, I know this church. I, I actually, I love this church. But I have to tell you, that expectation and qualification baffles me. That, that to me is apples and oranges. Pa- Paul did not come, did not say, I came to you as an example of good management and organizational leadership. He said, I came to you as a servant. I came to you humbly with tears, and I proclaimed God's word to you all the time. Look, you think I don't know that the whole world isn't clamoring to hear another sermon on qualifications of elders. But these are important passages too. And Paul says, I proclaimed the whole counsel of God. We're also not scared of the Old Testament. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, Matt preached 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture in the Greek means all scripture not just the easy parts. And we do believe that elders should have a working knowledge of all Scripture. We are growing, we are learning, we are reading. Every October we go to a conference up at Shepherd's Church and we learn more. But the goal is so that we would have a handle on it so that we can teach our people. And he says in verse 21, the message is repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's actually an excellent, brief little summary of the gospel. The gospel requires a response. Repentance towards God. That people would hear the message. Repentance means that, that turning around, that you're, you're moving in one direction, and you hear the word of God, and you repent means you turn and you go the opposite direction. You, you don't stop being a thief just because you stop stealing. You stop being a thief because God changes you into a giver. You don't stop being a proud man just because you stop thinking proud thoughts. You, you stop being a proud man when God changes you into a humble man. So we preach repentance and we preach faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? Do you believe that only by his work on a cross that people can be forgiven? Do you believe that he is alive? Do you believe that he is coming again. And when we declare the whole counsel of God, it quickly becomes clear that a change of actions and a change of belief is demanded. And so Paul says to the Thessalonians, we read this last week, he got word. Remember, he was there for only a few weeks, six weeks tops, and then he hears back from the, the, the Thessalonian elders how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We teach you the whole counsel of God. You teach others the whole counsel of God. 
so that we might turn from idols, all of us, and await the return of Jesus Christ from heaven. Paul modeled humility and an unwavering commitment to the declaration of God's word from beginning to end. The third thing he modeled is impartiality. Acts 20, 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you know, the Jews and the Greeks were estranged. They were hostile to one another. Paul was a Jew, but Paul was steadfast in the proclamation of the gospel to both. He was no respecter of race. He was no respecter of social status. We know that in the church, in the early church, there were slaves there were, there were servants, but there were also members of Caesar's household and Roman soldiers. What, what kind of house churches must those have been to have a, a member uh, of Caesar's household possibly sitting in a church where maybe even uh, a slave was a teacher of God's word because the, he was a mature Christian believer? And Paul's attitude was like, I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're going or where you're from. All I want to do is teach you about repentance and faith from God's word. And if we're going to follow Paul's example, then we need men who are going to teach every single person because they are all worth our time and attention. The rich man, the poor man, the black man, the white man, the old man, and the child. Our children are worthy of being taught the word of God. We covered the sin of favoritism just a few months ago in the, in the book of James. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So a brother comes in wearing shabby clothes and you say, sit in the back or sit at my footstool, put my feet up on you. A brother comes in wearing fancy clothes, robes, and he's got nice rings on, and you say, oh, you come up here and sit at the front. You sit in a more honored Section And James says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Remember Philippians 2, which I read earlier, do nothing out of selfish ambition. The position of elder should never be used to gain favor or status. We will never say this person deserves our attention because they can help us have money or they can help us have influence. In the church, we humbly serve everyone. And then finally, out of that, integrity. Down in verse 26, Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. So when Paul says, I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all, he's actually referencing a, a famous prophecy in Ezekiel, this prophecy of the watchman where God talks to Ezekiel about, if you will go and you will declare the word of God faithfully, if the people don't repent, that's on them. But if you go and you don't declare the word of God faithfully and the people don't repent, that's on you. And so Paul is saying that he can stand before God and that he can know that he has preached the word of God faithfully and accurately. There is nobody in Ephesus who can say to Paul, you didn't tell me how it is. And so Paul expects the elders to take it just as seriously. They are to be vigilant, to warn the flock. They can never let their guard down. The Old Testament prophets cried out against those shepherds of Israel. Like I mentioned earlier, they had become lazy and ignorant. Isaiah chastises them because they've been asleep 
And in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews tells the church, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who give an account. So elders are charged to guard against being distracted. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Clearly, Paul associates integrity as well with with financial integrity and the shepherding of the flock. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 12, take care and be on guard against covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Paul called greed idolatry. If you're a person who is focused on mansions and cars and fancy clothes, then being an elder is not for you. Money-obsessed elders were the lazy shepherds of Israel. They were asleep, and they were held accountable. All right, let me shift gears here for one moment. And so I mentioned 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is the sort of main text that we normally think about when we talk about qualifications for elders. And and since we're eating our vegetables, as I said last week, I I just want to talk about it quickly, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Let me read it to you. I think it's important that we cover this passage. I think that... um, I think that Paul in Ephesians 20 gives us a very practical, tangible picture of what what the character of an elder should look like. I think that Paul in uh, 1 Timothy gives us more of the general qualifications. Let me read it to you. Verse 1, thus this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. I've just got got some general groupings of these qualifications here. First of all, social qualifications. Paul says that that man should be above reproach. That's, a lot of people take this as sort of the summary of all the other qualifications, and I I kind of agree with that because it speaks to the whole life. J. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, which is an excellent book for anybody, whether you're a dad or a husband or an elder or a business leader, it's not a very long book, but Sanders says, his adversary finds no grounds for a smear campaign or rumor mongering. The elders should have a good reputation in and out of the church. Practically speaking, we've all heard stories of the businessman who is known for shady dealings, but is also an elder or a pastor or a deacon at his church. Paul says there should be none of that. He should have a good reputation inside the church and outside the church. Moral qualifications, the elder should be a man of sexual faithfulness. Throughout history, the two areas in the scripture, the two areas where we are most warned about falling are money and sexual desire. Paul adds that he shouldn't be addicted to alcohol, and this is a matter of self-control. I should add, I do not understand this to be a prohibition against the consumption of alcohol. 
but simply that he would be self-controlled in his use of alcohol. Mental qualifications. The elder should be a man who has a habit of inner self-restraint. He should have a habit of sound judgment. He shouldn't be given to sudden impulses or extremes. Probably connected to this is this able to teach, and we'll talk some more about this next week. I do understand this as the ability to handle God's word, to respond both publicly and house to house. If an elder is going to feed the flock, he has to be able to teach the word. Now, again, we want to have a biblical understanding of the qualifications, but we also want to have a reasonable understanding of the qualifications, and a reasonable understanding is all elders are not going to be Charles Spurgeon, right? All elders are not going to be men with a golden tongue who can stand up here and teach us for hours and have us say, please, give us more, right? I say that because, like I said last week, our future elders are in the pew right here. And I want you to understand, you need to be able to understand the word and you need to be able to apply the word and teach the word, but it doesn't mean that you have to stand up here and preach the word like you're the Apostle Paul. Number four, personal qualifications. I like Sanders here. He says, if you would rather pick a fight than solve a problem, don't be an elder. Elders should be men who seek peace, who are actively considerate and gentle. A pastor acquaintance of mine once told me, I'm sorry, I just don't have the spiritual gift of compassion. And I thought about that later, and I was like, you know, compassion is a fruit of the Spirit. I I would say that that's probably a necessary fruit for a man who's going to lead God's people. And then domestic qualifications. He must manage his household well. It's interesting to me, most of the qualifications are just one word, but Paul decides to take up two whole verses on this one, and probably because there's potential on both sides. Number one, we are not looking for men who are stern, unsmiling patriarchs, immune to laughter and impervious to emotion. That is not what we're looking for. But we're also aware that a household that is out of control can prevent an elder from being present in ministry. None of these qualifications require perfection. If perfection was the goal, we would be elderless. We're all in the process of sanctification. We are all talking about habit of life. If we're disqualified because sometimes our kids climb on the roof, I'm out. But a man should be able to manage his home or else he has no business trying to manage the household of God. I should also add that all husbands should strive to be good managers of their household. This is not only a qualification for elders. And then finally, maturity. This is the final qualification, and it does come with a warning. It actually comes with a warning that he states twice. I I do believe that this maturity is relative to the age of the church. Remember what I said last week? A four-year-old church like Hope is going to have different elders, different levels of maturity than a church where they've been preaching the Word of God for 50 years, okay? But relatively speaking, we are looking for men who have some spiritual maturity. And it's very simple. It's unwise to elevate a man too quickly because Paul says a novice faces great danger. He might become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil an inflated ego. I do think it's a matter of caring for young Christians that we watch out for them in this area. As an elder, things come at you fast. People surprise you. And if you don't have some maturity and some wisdom, you can be broken by some of what you see and some of what you experience. All right, so we have covered then 
Question number three, what is the character of an elder? This is not exhaustive. I can give you more resources. If you have questions, like I said last week, be like the Bereans. Go home, consider the scriptures, see if these things are so. Come to us and talk about them. In conclusion, let me just say two things. Number one, what example are you setting? So don't say, well, I never intend to be an elder, so it doesn't matter what example I set. The Apostle Paul wants us all to be imitators of Christ. And as I said at the beginning, can you say to a young Christian, could you say to a young Christian, let me show you how to follow Christ? Moms, dads, husbands, wives, young people, can you say to your friends, I want to help you be a follower of Jesus? And it must mean that we live lives worthy of being imitated. does not mean that we're being pharisaical. It does not mean that we're being legalistic, y'all. I, I, it's, that's going to be the... The first thing people are going to throw at you, well, you're being legalistic. No, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm just trying to follow Jesus, and I'm trying to help you follow Jesus better. And the goal is that we would be an aroma. Paul speaks to the Corinthians that that, that they would be an aroma of Christ to those around them. Parents, do you ever notice how much your children are like you? Do you ever get annoyed by the way they speak and then think, wait a second, do I sound like that? We're all influencers. The question is, are we influencing others for Christ? And then secondly, elders are people who imitate Christ. We want elders who will say, follow me as I follow Christ. And like I said, I'll say it again, I'll say it again next week, the future elders of hope are going to be the people who are sitting in the pews of Hope Bible Church. We're not going to an elder training center to bring in new elders, all right? We're looking for men whom God is going to raise up from among us. One of the greatest influences in my life was a man named Colin Smith. And so when I left California in 2000-something, four, I went to, to, to Chicago. I was a pastor there at Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church under Colin Smith. And he was a godly man. He was a Scottish man. And he had a tremendous influence on me and my ministry. And shortly after I got there... Uh, Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church had a, had a rough time, and people were standing up, and people were saying a lot of things, and it, it got ugly, and there were all kind of meetings. And I remember going to Colin once and just saying, why don't you, like, just tell them to stop? Like, what, why are you letting this go on? Like, why, why, what, you know, just, I had all my, you know, 30-year-old thoughts on this. And, and what he said to me has really stuck with me in ministry. And, and he said it and he said it, in, you know, in his, in, his, in his Scottish accent in a way better way than I can say it. But he said, David, you have to win them. You have to win them. And, I mean, it, it was like one of those moments in my ministry where I was like, what? You have to win them. You have to live in a way that what you're saying is appealing. And, and, and you have to make an argument. And you have to say, this is why it's better. And, and, and give them an opportunity to see by your own life and by your own joy and by your own winsomeness and by your own happiness and by your own faithfulness that what you're saying is true. That's the kind of elders I want us to have at Faith, Hope, Love, Bible Church. <laughs> to be elders who are people who, who are joyful lovers of Jesus who can say, hey, come and follow me as I follow Christ. And, and, and win them to that perspective. Let me pray. Father, I, I do pray that you would, you would raise up men who will be influencers 
for Jesus' sake. Father, I pray that we would all be people. I pray that all of us who are members of Hope Bible Church would be those who imitate Christ and who say, could say to someone else, follow me as I follow Jesus. So, Father, I, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would do this. God, I, I ask that you would help us to win people, Lord, that, that we would have lives that have such an aroma of Christ that are joyful, that are, that are serving you, that people would say, I, I want to know what you know, and, and that it would be more than just preaching to them, but it would be telling them things that they are thirsty to hear. And so we ask that you would do that among us in the weeks and months and years to come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are going to take of the Lord's table together right now. Uh, if you are here visiting with us this morning, you are more than welcome to partake with us. Uh, we would welcome you to join us. If you don't know Jesus, we would ask that you refrain. Uh, if you have not understood what it means to live in repentance and faith in him, let us explain that to you. Let us have the joy of telling you about that so that you can take uh, one day, perhaps, um, in the full understanding of what it is that we do together. They're going to hand out the bread and the cup. Hang on to that. I'll come back up here and read, and we will partake together in just a minute. <laughs> 